0: As the lead guy, should you be making every single decision all the time, every day? Should everything come to your desk? Even though that actually feels really good, like I get to the end of the day, like, all right, I got some stuff done. I did some things. As I assess and think, huh, but I don't know that we are any better as an organization because I made all of the decisions.
1: You're listening to the Lippard Academy for Leadership Podcast a show where we invite leaders to have courageous conversations about the journey of leadership, work, and culture. Let's go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Lippert Academy for Leadership podcast. This is Dr. Amber Selkin, Vice President of Leadership and Culture here at Lippert Components, and I am joined today with our dear friend, Trace Rory. Trace, welcome back to the show, uh, brother.
0: Man, it's so good to be back. It's just good to see you. Good to talk with you. Thank you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And when he says, see me, he has seen me via Zoom. Many of you have heard Trace's voice and wisdom before. He was formerly a co-host of this podcast here at the Liberty Academy. Now is on as a guest because in the last several months, he's had some big life transitions. So we are excited to dive into Trace's story and leadership journey of his own. Um, But before we do, just a reminder to everybody, sort of the purpose of the Academy, you know, we are here uh, to come alongside of you wherever you might be on your leadership and cultural journey, whether you're a small business or a large business, If you have a desire and understand the importance of leadership and culture in terms of driving your business, right? Of integrating your business and your cultural strategies, but you're just not sure where to start, please reach out to us send me an email Academy at LCI one.com um, we you know we engage in keynote speaking and training and year-long you know development um, and, and consulting relationship of developing core values creating vision aligning your people and if that's something that's interesting to you again please please reach out to us Academy at LCI the number onecom so we can get on that conversation and help you uh, discern and, and continue on your journey of making business A force for good in this world. So, without further ado, let's transition to our friend Trace, who is indeed a force for good in this world. Um, For those of you that don't know, about four years ago, Trace came to Lippert Components from the church world and came in as a leadership development director for us. He spent four years in our organization uh, loving our people, serving our people, coaching our people, serving as that trainer, coach, and trusted advisor, which is what our leadership development directors serve here at at Lipper. And then uh, this summer actually transitioned back into the church. And so while we were devastated to lose you, brother, we were also incredibly, incredibly excited for you, for your family, and for the church family that you're going to serve, Um, but even more because of just the vision that you have on your heart uh, as a leader. So I I guess to tee us off, maybe just talk about the transition, maybe the first transition in from church to the marketplace slash manufacturing, and then what it was like going back into that world. Yeah.
0: So I remember four years ago, a little over now, um, getting this opportunity, and I knew it was right To kind of leave what they call vocational ministry or working in a church to go into this new venture. Uh, Jason uh, Lippert himself had casted this just a compelling, amazing vision that uh, compelled me to just want to be a part of it. Uh, And I'm a big vision guy. Like, if I really believe in the vision of where we're going and what we're doing, like, sign me up. And so Jason casted this really compelling vision. Around what he wanted his organization to look like and how he wanted to get her, get there, it had everything to do with leadership. How are we leading our people? Not just in the workplace, but how are we impacting their, you know, their their personal lives, their families? I wound up transitioning into that. And at first, um, I thought, you know, uh, it's it's leadership, it's people. There's probably a lot of similarities, but I hadn't been in manufacturing before. I grew up, and my my father was involved in manufacturing his whole life, so it wasn't foreign to me. But I'd spent the last 13 years uh, in working in a church. Getting into it, uh, I faced no shortage of skepticism <laughs> over my uh, my ability to be able to coach well, to function well. And you know what, rightfully so, because who the heck is this guy coming in from like a church and you're going to tell me how to lead my people? You're going to coach me how to lead my people in a, in a manufacturing organization? And even though I was confident that there was carryover, it even started to instill some level of hesitation in me. Like, okay, well, I think I, think I can do this. I think I know. And then over time, certainly even though there's industry-specific things, like working at a church and working at a manufacturing organization are very, very different, um, primarily because of the end product, uh, some of the processes of of how to get there, you know, lean processes or safety audits or things like that are just things that don't really happen in a church. Uh, so certainly there are differences, but um, especially after being there four years and now transitioning back into the world of kind of vocational ministry, working at a church, the similarities are so remarkable, uh, more so than people would probably think. And so, man, I am better for having spent those four years uh, around you, around our incredible leaders at Lippert, because now I'm able to go back into this world of ministry with strength and, and bringing a unique angle on how to do that because of my time there. So they're so similar. Certainly, there are differences, but they're so similar because people are people. Like leadership is leadership, even though the end product might be a little different. Some processes might be different. It's still people and leadership. So a lot of similarities.
1: So, you know, we say all the time that you can't grow in your comfort zone, right? And uh, going from ministry into manufacturing is certainly outside of your comfort zone. I would be curious now that you've been in your new role for a couple months, looking back, what are some of the areas that you realize that you grew in over those four years that were critical for you to be positioned now in your role for the impact that you're having. And, and, and just for everybody's sake too, you're the executive pastor of Granger yeah. Community Church. Is that the, that's the proper title, right? That
0: is. Can you explain, yeah.
1: explain what that is to people who might not understand.
0: Great question. So people have no idea. Um, <laughs> and to some degree, like I, I didn't know. Uh, so the church is a fairly large church, current kind of weekly uh, well, in-person is a relative term with COVID and everything. So, <clears throat> But generally speaking, a, a weekly attendance is going to be around five to 6,000 with a few thousand that will watch services afterwards online and everything. So it's a fairly large organization. We've got a staff of about 120 uh, people that in some way, shape, or form all kind of funnel up into uh, me structurally. Um, An executive pastor is different than like a senior pastor or a lead pastor. Think of it like this. So if you've got the president of the United States, the president is responsible for leading the country. They're the person that kind of has the vision, Um, they set the agenda, but yet you've got the White House chief of staff that is responsible for running the behemoth that is the White House, which is uh, responsible for helping execute the president's policy, making things happen, connecting with congressmen, senators, actually leading a staff, right? Because the president can't do all of that because they're focused on leading the country. Um, So that, for lack of a better uh, example, is kind of what an executive pastor is. They help essentially run the organization that is the church so that the lead pastor can kind of focus on leading the the congregation and leading the church forward, having the vision and everything like that. So, so that's kind of what the role is. So uh, the question is a good one. Um, What I came back into this world with stronger was a few things. There is a pragmatism to decision-making, I think, especially in manufacturing, because it's pretty clear we know how to make a product. We know what it takes to make a product from beginning to end. So um, there's a pragmatism to decision-making. You know, We might know we need our labor to be under 12%, um, so we know how to get there. We know exactly what we want our safety score to be. Hey, we know that there's an inefficiency in our process that's creating a quality issue, so uh, we need to do like a lean audit, like a, a lean process, like a 5Y process. So all of these things... I was able to take back into this world of ministry, which you know. This, I mean, people. How do you measure the impact on a human being, right? Like that's the endless question. Like you know it when you feel it. You know it when you see it. You can see change, but it's hard to put down on a piece of paper or on a budget sheet how somebody grew. Which is okay. That's fine. And I love that Lippert's like so comfortable with some of the subjectivity of that. I love that in church world. That's it's entirely subjective. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, you have like a few key indicators that maybe people are growing or you're being effective, but in large part, it's hard to measure your impact on people, but decision-making, uh, processes of decision-making, finding inefficiencies in process and in execution, all of those things, I was able to come back into the world of ministry, having experienced them at a really high level at Lippert, and I'm starting to be able to implement those back in, like even something as simple as a, a 5 Y process. Like actually like lean processes, regardless of whether it's manufacturing uh, or ministry or any other number of things actually have a ton of relevance to get to core problems and then to figure out how you problem solve too. So that was a, that was a big one. And then also just process of decision-making. Like I know we've talked about this a ton uh, at Lippert, which is how do you make decisions effectively? Like as the lead guy, should you be making every single decision all the time, every day? Should everything come to your desk? And even though here's what I've learned, even though that actually feels really good, like there are many days I get to the end of my day and I may, might've made like 80 decisions that day and it feels really productive. Like I get to the end of the day, like, all right, I got some stuff done. I did some things as I assess and think, huh, but I don't know that we are any better as an organization mm-hmm. because I made all of the decisions. Certainly, I made decisions and maybe they were the right ones. Some of them might have been the wrong ones. But there's any number of people that didn't grow at all today. And therefore, we don't have any healthier of an organization because we're not better when I'm the only one making decisions. We're better when everybody is making effective decisions and people have either the competence or the confidence or the clarity to be able to make those decisions on their own so that I can focus on some higher level things and they feel empowered to do it. Those are two things that I learned, just two things, uh, and I could go on for a while at Lippert that I'm able to carry over now to be a more effective leader in the space I'm in.
1: How have you gone about that decision-making, discerning process of what decisions to delegate and which ones are, are for you?
0: It's a good question. Some of it right now is a little trial and error. I think as you get into a new space mm-hmm. uh, that already had kind of their own processes, their own expectations around how decisions are made, who makes decisions or what it had been in the past. Some of it is is me learning. Now, I could have come in like a bull in a china shop and say, this is how it's going to be. Uh, <laughs> the
1: awesome <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, uh, I learned a long time ago that That might be effective for all of like three seconds. uh, And then people will resent you for it. And then you're going to have a lot of work in front of you uh, in terms of rebuilding trust in relationship. So high level, it's a little bit of trial and error, but um, here's kind of what I would come back to. And here's what I've been doing for for my time there so far. Any decision that comes my way, uh, that comes into my inbox or comes to my desk or somebody stops by my office, I'll help make a decision. I'll ask a lot of questions, but then I assess and I say, okay, is this something that only I can decide? If it's something only I can decide, why is that? It could just be a byproduct of the org chart, right? Like some things just fall to the leader. Like that's the purpose of the org chart, clarity and decision-making, like who does something go to at the end of the day who needs to make a call on something? If this person can't, you run it up the chain. So some of it might just be a byproduct of the org chart, and that's not wrong or bad. That's that's really natural. Okay. So if that's the case, if it came to me because it's a byproduct of the org chart, is that how I want it to be? Does that lead us to be a more effective organization? Does it actually help this person become a better leader? Does it help us be really agile and quick in our decision-making, or is this slow down the process of decision making because it has to depend on my ability to make the decision. So I started asking questions: mm-hmm. Was it a byproduct of the org chart, or is it because this person is not competent? Now that isn't me saying, "Hey, if they're not competent, I'm going to fire them within the hour." Like it's not that, but I, I actually take that on as a, a responsibility for myself. Like if they're not competent, how do I make them competent enough to be able to make the decision? So I need to give them the skill, the competence, the expertise to be able to make this decision. If it's not just something that has to come to me as the leader, I want them to be able to make the decision on their own because that'll be good for their own leadership capability. We'll actually be more agile and effective as a team when they're doing it. And we just will be quicker. And oftentimes they'll make a decision that's better than me because they're closer to the information than I am. Right Like I can make a call, but at the end of the day, like they might just be closer and more experienced to what they 're having to decide on than I am, so they might be the right one to make the call anyways, but do they have the competence to do it if they 've got the competence, then I, I say, okay well, if they didn 't make the decision, but they 've got the competence to make the decision, why did it still come to me? Oftentimes it comes back to their confidence, like do they have the confidence to make the decision? okay, if they don't have the confidence to make the decision, why? Again, you can kind of hear it like I'm running through my own five-why process. Like yeah. why don't they have the confidence to make the decision? And then that might lead me to any other number of, of answers, which is, hey, are they afraid of making a wrong decision because of repercussions? Like, are they afraid that if they make the wrong call, I'm going to come down hard on them or I'm going to doubt them or I'm not going to want to uh, put them in a position to make a call in the future because I don't trust them? Like, does it just come down to they're afraid to make a call because of me? Okay, well, I know what I can then do about that, right? Like, I, there's some steps I can take as a leader to make sure that they're not um, experiencing a lack of confidence because of me. Um, but at the same time, they might have a lack of confidence because of them right? It might not have to do with me. It just might be because of them. Maybe they've got a lack of experience. They're fully competent, but maybe they've not been in a position to make a call before, right? So if it's a lack of experience uh, that's driving some of that lack of confidence or that hesitancy, well, then there's some steps I can take from that too. So Decision-making for me is ultimately, I want to build a team in an organization where um, effective decisions are happening all across the organization. They don't all fall to me because one, we're just not effective that way. And I just got to say, like, I don't have fun that way. Like, that's just not fun. Like I enjoy collaboration. I enjoy a team effort. And if I'm not leading in such a way that allows my team to have the confidence and that I'm building the confidence for them to make calls, And then I can just celebrate them, support them, affirm them, or course correct where I need to so that they can learn for the future, right? Then uh, if I'm not leading in that way, then I'm not leading effectively for the team. And it's just not fun. It's not. So...
1: Yeah, me. Oh man, there's so much wrapped up in that. So much goodness. I can't even like break it apart. So I hope y'all were taking notes like I was um, on this. But you know, it is just fascinating to see that whole courage, courage to make the decision. And I do think it, it's grounded in that competence and confidence that that you just broke apart there. You know, when I was teaching at Notre Dame, um, like my assignments were sort of like, hey, this is this is the output that I want. You know, yeah. and then it was basically like. Be creative, like yep. execute, think, you know. And my students were like, "Well, do you have a grading rubric? Like, how exactly do you want this?" And I'm, and I'm like, I kept telling them, I was like, "Listen, I don't, I don't have a particular grading rubric, right? Generally, I, I want things spelled right. Like, I want to see an attention to detail. I want to see like creative thinking and critical thinking. But like, they don't all have to look cookie cutter. Like, right. they, could, you could all get a hundred percent, and they could look a hundred percent different." Like if you think about it. And so I just, you know, how our whole society is sort of webbed around like needing so much structure. And you know, as a leader, I like, I am probably on the other end of lack of structure, which I need to probably tighten up a little bit. But I just think like giving people opportunities to make decisions, right? And own the consequences, the good and the bad, you know, like, because then when things go really well, if your people don't have like their hands in it, and like their equity, their sweat equity, their blood equity, their mental equity in it, like it's may- it's not maybe as meaningful. And like, if it doesn't work, guess what they can say? Eh, wasn't on me, you know? Yeah. And I just think like, I love the quote that's like the, the man in the arena quote, you know, and the last part of it is that, so my soul may never be, or so my, so that I may never be with those poor and timid souls who know yeah. neither victory nor defeat. Yep. You know, and I think as leaders, like what, what environment are we creating that our people yep. it taste yep. victory or defeat? Yep. I think like, I think the world wants us to stay in a state of mediocrity, right? Where yep. everything's safe, where we can placate our emotions, where we can protect ourselves yep. mentally and emotionally and spiritually, yep. you know, and yet that's not what life and living is all about. And when we say business a force for good, it's about business being a place where people can explore the depths of their humanity, right? The highs and the lows. And as leaders, we get to create that space. And wow, what an opportunity.
0: I remember I used the example a lot when I was with LCI and (laughs) now I'm trying to really implement it now, which is... I used to think, and I draw this picture of a of a trapeze artist. You know, a trapeze artist, they climb up on this, this ladder, they go incredibly high in the room, and now they have to literally jump off a ledge. They have to make a decision to jump off this ledge and to trust this bar that they're holding that can swing them back and forth. Well, trapeze artists, they train with a net, right? They train with a net, and that instills a certain level of confidence as they're building their skill sets because guess what? They still have to climb up, and they still have to have the courage to jump and to practice these aerial maneuvers which is incredibly terrifying even with a net but they have the net but at some point the best trapeze artists they lose the net right and i think of as a leader if i'm trying to instill confidence in somebody they're building their skill set and you know different people are different like certainly there's some people you have to walk with a little bit more as they're making their decisions. And some people are just fully, probably too confident in their ability to make decisions. But as a leader, what, what does a safety net look like that I, I can provide my people as they build their decision-making skill sets, right? Their confidence. Now, I can't always be there, nor do I really want to always be that safety net. Like I need them to jump without a safety net at some point. But if I've helped them build the skill set, Um, they're not going to be hesitant, afraid, uh, fearful. They'll be confident when you lose that net and they'll be just as apt to jump off that ledge. So as a leader, how am I helping a person, at least on the front end with their decision-making processes, acting as that safety net where failure isn't final, we're gonna learn from it, but at the same time, getting them to the point where, you know, you're not always gonna have a safety net and that's okay. Like, and I need you to feel a little bit of the intensity a little bit of the the tension of what it's like to make a call and have to own it too, right? So I love your your analogy, your examples because it's spot on. It's 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 helping people build the the confidence and instilling the courage to be able to make calls.
1: Okay, so you give your people this freedom to make decisions. Uh, they could also make the wrong decision, <laughs> <right>? <laughs> yep. and then as a leader, you know, if you are not grounded yep. and confident and yep. understand. Like why you did what you did, and and you were intentional with setting that up. Well, that insecurity could make you never let people make decisions because, well, if they make me look bad, mm-hmm. then I look bad, you know. And I think it and it it just always for me comes back to that sort of self identity as a leader, you know. Yeah. And you have to be grounded and All confident said. and you know poised and thoughtful about what you're doing so that you can bear some of that and let people actually grow because growth is messy. Yeah. You know? And and, you know, at Lippert, our leadership development model of lead self, lead team, lead business, like yep. that's why leading self is so important. Because if you're not, you're always going to have a limiting factor to how you can lead your team or yep. how you can lead your business, because there's going to be this sort of undergirding of insecurity that you're going to be constantly trying to bolster and therefore minimizing the freedom in which people in business can actually operate to flourish, you know? Yep.
0: Well said. Well said. Yeah, oh so, so, uh, yeah.
1: So, for all of our listeners, I have to tell you that when Trace was here, my nickname for him, and it still is his nickname, uh, is Juicebox. Because every time we would get together, we'd get in conversations like this, and I'd just get jacked up, and like, <laughs> like the juices start flowing, and we start making greatness. So, if you hear the excitement in my voice, this is this is the Juicebox starting to have his impact in uh, in my my mental and emotional functioning right now.
0: I feel the same way. I don't need coffee anytime that I spend time with you because I just get amped up w- without
1: it. I know people are like, "Are you sure you need to be drinking a cup of coffee right now? Is it necessary for your life?" Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but it tastes good. It? Yeah. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> like the old guy on uh, dodgeball. <laughs> I'm not even gonna right. that because it's like not not appropriate, but <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast belong solely to the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the view or mission of Lippert Components Inc. Thanks to Eternity Bro for our theme music and to Michael Yoder and the amazing team over at Truthwork Media. Thanks for listening.